The Socialist Correspondent is an anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist journal. It supports all those fighting for peace and socialism. Podcast 92. South America, the realities of power. The last four years have seen an upsurge in popular movements in South America with notable achievements. The wave of protests in Chile led to the election of Gabriel Boric on a progressive programme representing a left coalition. The even more impressive movement in Colombia resulted in Gustavo Petro's election. He faces enormous challenges, but speaks powerfully about confronting them. In both countries, police used the new tactic of shooting rubber-clad metal bullets, gunshot pellets and tear gas cylinders directly at the face of protesters. Petro has a solid majority in Congress and a coalition including urban and rural leaders. Armed paramilitaries still threaten rural leaders, assassinations still occur, but Petro seems to be a determined leader. Colombia hosts several US military bases and has long had the strongest ties to the USA in South America. So any steps Petro takes to affect this alliance and US economic interests are bound to be dangerous. In Peru, Pedro Castillo was elected as the first leader representing the people, with massive voting from the marginalised south of the country. He followed a series of corrupt presidents, nearly all convicted of corruption, and tried to decentralise, visiting all regions to meet local leaders, to hear problems and give some solutions. Blocked at every turn by a corrupt Congress, he eventually tried to close it down and to call new elections. The Congress then dismissed him, with the support of the US-trained armed forces leaders. At the time, he had 30% approval, and the Congress just 10%. Massive protests followed. Road and rail blocks, storming of airports, big demonstrations in Lima, including by the trade unions. The police and army have killed over 50 people. More than 30 of these deaths were proven to be caused by bullets. The de facto President Boluarte, a turncoat, hangs on, but her position is fragile. A coup d'etat took place in Bolivia in 2019. A false accusation of electoral fraud was made, and this was backed up both by delegates from the Organization of American States based in Washington and US-trained army chiefs. A neo-fascist and racist government started to reverse the gains made over 13 years of progressive government. In the best example of fight back, a massive movement by indigenous people blocked roads, and threatened to starve La Paz if promised elections were not held. So after 13 months, the movement to socialism was re-elected. The large indigenous minority has dignity again. Economic progress is solid. People's lives are improving. Building goes on apace, and the industrialisation of lithium, iron and other sectors continues. Bolivia is the most successful of the first pink wave countries. Taking national control of its oil and gas resources in 2006 was crucial. Before that, the nation received just 18% of the value of these resources in taxes. Afterwards, 
82%. Now the huge lithium deposits promise to be a motor of development, including processing and battery production, done jointly with a Chinese company. In Brazil, Lula defeating Bolsonaro was a great relief, but his ability to make real changes is very limited. He is in coalition with fairly right-wing social democrats. If significant social improvements are not made, the way will be open again to Bolsonaro or other fascists. Bolsonaro was clever enough to retain the Bolsa Familia programme Lula set up to end hunger and even increased the payments during the Covid pandemic. Lula's successor Dilma Rousseff was impeached by Congress on spurious grounds and then Lula was prevented from standing in 2018 and the racist, pro-fascist Bolsonaro was elected. Racism is very strong in Brazil. It was the last major country to end slavery in 1888. Now, by decree, Lula has ended the move to privatise seven strategic companies. He visited China in April this year and signed 20 economic agreements. As in Bolivia and other countries, renewed economic cooperation with China will give the best prospects of growth and a better life for Brazilians. In Chile, the situation is not good. The heavy defeat in September of the draft of a new progressive constitution led to triumphalism on the right and demoralisation on the left. There is a turn to the right. President Boric is a declared social democrat and an ally of the US in foreign policy generally. He now governs more with the parties in the old centre-left, Concertacion, than with the more left-wing parties he was elected alongside. Without a majority in Congress, progress on urgently needed reforms is very slow. Again, unless people can see an improvement in their lives, the neo-fascist caste could be elected next time. So all this is Pink Tide version 2. What happened to Pink Tide 1? Broadly, it was defeated by a combination of economic downturns leading to discontent and the use of legal manoeuvres to remove progressive leaders, for example Dilma Rousseff's impeachment in 2016. As well as assassination on a mass scale in Chile and Argentina in the 1970s, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights has found that the Colombian state took part in an intense campaign of violence in the 1980s and 1990s that ended the lives of thousands of members of the left-wing party Patriotic Union, Union Patriotica. Imperialism tries to avoid using direct military coups now, they are bad publicity. But lately we have seen so-called silent coups where US-trained army chiefs support reactionary takeovers, such as in Bolivia and Peru. The central problem of state power has been largely ignored. As mentioned in the cases of Bolivia and Peru, but also relevant in Honduras, Brazil and elsewhere, the armed forces are usually led by officers trained in the USA's School of the Americas, now renamed the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, but with the same purpose. They always side with reactionaries 
at times of political crisis. Significantly, the only country to have continued its progress from the first pink tide is Venezuela, where Hugo Chavez came from a progressive section of the military. Democratic restructuring of the armed forces is a vital need, but a very hot potato. In Chile, they always loom as so-called guardians of stability. Before 1973, there were many democratically-minded officers. But since then, cadets have been carefully screened politically. The judiciary also needs to be changed in most countries to prevent it being used to thwart the popular will, as happened notably in Brazil, Argentina and Ecuador. It is a nettle that must be grasped in order to achieve democratic control of these state institutions. Above all, possibly, is the need for a democratic press, radio and TV. At the moment, these media are dominated by capitalist owners, often transnational like CNN, Verizon and Reuters. They support the economic interests of North American and European imperialist companies. They create support for neoliberal policies and stifle real political discussion on the way forward. Popular control of natural resources and major industries is essential to dramatically improve people's lives, as is happening in Bolivia. Movements that promise this must be developed and become strong enough to overcome the opposition from the capitalist mass media, the judiciary and the armed forces. Such movements will face sanctions from the USA designed to crush them. But now, China is the largest trading partner for most of South America. The dollar is no longer almighty, and this gives a great advantage for social progress. We need media owned by cooperatives, trade unions and progressive governments themselves to end the present cultural hegemony of the status quo. Howls of anger go up when anything like this is mentioned. It's another very hot potato, but an issue that must be dealt with if we are to prevent another reactionary tide washing away the present victories. These problems of how to advance from a progressive government to real democratic control of the country, its bureaucracy, military and judiciary, are huge. For real economic independence and progress, for real democracy, the issue of state power has to be confronted. The most likely scenario for moving to democratic control is when there is a political crisis and the popular movement grows strong enough to impose its will. This was the case in Venezuela and in Bolivia. Others will follow. If you'd like to read more or to subscribe to the journal, you can do this via our website at www.thesocialistcorrespondent.org.uk.